The first reading today is on page 877 in your pew Bible. We're switching, switching these around. Um, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the very word of God. The second reading today is printed first. Uh, it's Matthew 6, verses actually 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 18. And that will be found on page 811 in your pew Bible. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Do you remember when your children were little and... um, 
and they learned a new skill. It might be a very small child and discovers his piggies, right? Or it might be, it might be a, a, a little girl who, for the first time, can do a pirouette. What does she do? What does she do? She, she says, Mommy, watch me, right? Watch me. She says, Daddy, look, look. Yeah, honey, I see. Look, look, Daddy. And she says, Daddy, look, look. Yeah, I, I saw it, honey. Look, Daddy. She wants so much for someone to see her, for someone to, to notice her, right? It doesn't go away, does it? As we, as we grow older, you would think that, that we would mature and we would not need, we would not need that, but it, it, it doesn't go. Why is that? As Pastor Bill was referencing, why is it that we get sucked back into that need for other people's approval? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it, it, whenever I, I'm discovering the hard way that when something is persistent like that, it's because it's hardwired into us, right? When, when, when uh, we find ourselves uh, uh, des- intensely desiring something, maybe God put that desire in us. The problem is not the desire. The problem is the way that we fulfill that desire, right? Um, maybe, just, just maybe, God made us to need approval. The problem is not that we need approval. The problem is where we go for the source of that approval, Right? And everything in our culture is all about evaluating people, isn't it? Everything in our culture is about how well you perform. Shelby did that beautiful job on that. We were talking in Sunday school. Yeah, it was beautiful. But Shelby, you better do that beautifully again next time, right? Because you're only as good, our society says, as your last performance. Some of us hop on that performance train, don't we? And it starts to go faster and faster, and the stakes get higher and higher, and all of a sudden we're finding ourselves in an impossible situation where we cannot possibly meet the expectations. And we're saying, what happened, God? What happened to that little child that just wanted her father's approval? And God says, time out. Time out. Let's go back to that child for a second. Let's, let's see that hard wiring that we are for approval and let's take it to the only one whose approval really matters. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, I'm so grateful for, um, for your word. Uh, you have dissected me over the last few weeks and, and I'm... I, I dare not open my mouth because I know that at some point I'm, I'm going to respond to the performance part rather than to the desire to glorify you. But God, I'm going to risk it today and I'm just going to ask that you would take the words of my mouth and especially the meditations of my heart, God, and all of our hearts here and, and uh, allow us to lay those at your feet. Jesus, would you be glorified in all we say and do, all that we are, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I love, uh, I love the little um, artwork that, that gets left around the sanctuary after a worship service. This is a, a little beautiful picture of four people, and, um, and it says, Fammy. 
says FAMI on it, F-A-M-I-Y, FAMI. And, uh, and, and Jesus just answered my prayer. And the previous service, maybe um, he, was, he was speaking to a child of what is important and what is true. May he do that again here. I want to go back with you, and I know that I'm, um, I'm wordy, and I know that, that uh, we go long, but I also know that we need to hear some things multiple times in order for it to register, in order for it to, to sink in, right? And so I want to just kind of review for a moment where we've been, because I think that context will make um, our passage today a little bit more meaningful, right? We've been talking together about the very nature of righteousness, uh, uh, what is righteousness? We discovered together that righteousness is right relationship, right? With God, with ourselves. Don't miss that. And with others. It's right relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. I'm grateful for my brother Bobby reminding me from Scripture a few weeks ago that righteousness is inseparable from justice. Right? Oftentimes it's translated differently. And I, I was puzzled by that again. Why, why is it, God? How are we supposed to know which of those ways to translate it? Um, uh, and and I, I'm thinking here might be a clue for us. It's inseparable from justice, but righteousness is internal justice, right? And justice is external righteousness. Did you hear that? Righteousness is internal justice. It's not just fighting for a cause, but it's being transformed by that cause inside of us. And justice is, is, is external righteousness, the natural outpouring of a heart that is right with God, with itself, and with other people. So what does that look like in the world? We've been exploring that together. Jesus has been taking us there, right? If, if, um, if the, the core idea of righteousness is right relationship in Matthew 5. He, he says this is what it looks like. This is what righteousness looks like. And, and he took us through the, the Beatitudes, the blessed. Do you remember that? Righteousness looks like, surprisingly, poverty of spirit. Righteousness looks like grief over sin. Do you remember that? Righteousness looks like strength under control. In other words, not always displaying the full extent of your strength, but meekness and allowing other people to move forward rather than just us. Righteousness looks like hunger and thirst for right relationships. Hunger and thirst. We explored together the power of those words. We don't ever hunger. We don't ever thirst. We satisfy those things immediately. And, 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 and Jesus says, you're missing something. Righteousness is hungering and thirsting after right relationships. Righteousness is mercy. Right? Righteousness is mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Righteousness is purity of heart, we learn. Righteousness is the pursuit of peace. Of, of taking that responsibility upon ourselves to mend broken relationships. To be instruments of peace in a world that so desperately needs wholeness again. And we saw righteousness also means receiving the ill responses of other people, persecution with joy, with joy. So Jesus then gave us the first of two great challenges 
And understanding then what righteousness is, then he challenged us. Unless your righteousness, he said, exceeds that of the most righteous person that you know, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the most righteous people they knew were, were the scribes and the Pharisees, the professional religious people and the lay leaders. Um, those were the most righteous people that they knew. And Jesus said, and he said it again in Matthew 21, adulterers and tax collectors will get into the kingdom of heaven before the scribes and the and, you know, people's world is just turned upside down. And, and, and it should be. He's saying to you and to me, unless your righteousness exceeds the most righteous person you know, and one of them just passed away, did he not? How old was Billy Graham? Ninety-nine? Oh my goodness, as long as I can remember, he has been the pinnacle of, of, of human righteousness, right? Uh, in our culture. Rightly or wrongly, we put him in that place. Here's the amazing thing. To my knowledge, he was never, he was never knocked out of that place. I could have chosen Mother Teresa. I, I could have chosen uh, any of a number of people, some of them in the room right here. Um, there, there are people that have done it and have lived it right they found a deeper source of righteousness. They found another place that they could go to for their righteousness. We've got to find it too. We've got to find it too. Otherwise, those words hang on us. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most righteous person you know, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. If that were not enough... At the end of Matthew chapter 5, I think it says in Pastor Bill's passage last week, you must be perfect even as you're... Oh my goodness, do you see what just happened in the room? Everybody just checked out. Everybody said, wait, that is performance anxiety at its pinnacle. You just said to me, Pastor Dave, you, you got to be perfect. Hold on, hold on to your seats. We're going to come back and, and pick that up. But do you understand that, that the bar is high? That the bar is high. How do we do this? Jesus has challenged us. Let me give you a couple big ideas with this first challenge. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most righteous person you know, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What are some big ideas here? Jesus has shown us in Matthew chapter 5 that your motivation is as important as your, as your action, right? He's taken it, someone in our Sunday school class this morning, he's taken it to our heart instead of just our hand. Now, they're integrally tied together, but, but if you just look at the work of someone's hand, you may not know anything about what's going on in their heart. Jesus takes us, as we just sang, from the inside out. He says, let's go first to the heart. Let's have transformed hearts, and then they will naturally result in transformed actions. And we saw six examples of that. And these are the ones that were just rocking our world. Do you remember? Anger, right? You've heard it said, do not commit murder. And we all go, phew. And he says, but I tell you that anybody who is angry with his brother or sister commits murder. And we got our worlds rocked. And then, and then right when we're saying no mas, he takes us to lust, Right? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks lustfully at another commits adultery. And we got our world rocked again. And with that not enough, he took us into divorce and remarriage. 
Last, or a couple weeks ago, he took us into lying and just absolutely slapped us around. Last week, Pastor Bill took us into two more, giving up our right to retaliate and, and loving, not just, not just tolerating, but loving our enemies. Do you see where this is going? If you, if you risked opening your heart to Jesus' word over these last few weeks, you've gotten yourself slapped around. You have, you have been challenged in a deep way. And, and it's summarized in... Excuse me. It's summarized in that final statement in Matthew five forty-eight. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, now again, lest you slide into that performance-based merit here... Um, let me just say a word about, about perfection for a second, right? And that is that, that the word there is, is a Greek word that, that, that literally teleos, that means maturity. You must grow up into, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4, into him who is our head, right? It's not perfection like, like your early education experiences where you got one wrong and there was a great big X on your page and, and your mom or your dad said, what happened? How did you miss that one? Right? That's not the perfection we're talking about. Jesus is saying, you've got to grow up into all that God created you to be. And, and the the beauty of this is that Jesus has intentionally taken us to the place where we realize we cannot do this on our own. I hope it's not news to you. I know it's not. I know it's not in your heart of hearts. You can't do this. You cannot do this. Praise God. Praise God. There is someone who already has. And when you, when you, by faith, entrust yourself to Him, when you, by faith, entrust yourself to Jesus' righteousness, right? We've learned that, that God looks at you and Jesus' righteousness accounts for you. He sees His precious child and says, what He said to Jesus, I love you and I am pleased with you. And... and 24 years, I've been trying to get you to get this. God loves you and is pleased with... Wait a second, Pastor Dave. No, no, wait a minute. Because of Christ's righteousness, He's pleased with you. You bring pleasure to the heart of God. So, so yes, He's inviting us. You must be perfect, but the way that you experience perfection is by faith in the perfect one, in Jesus Christ himself. You can't do this on your own. He did it for you. You need Jesus. You need Jesus, right? And every time you choose righteousness, Every time, yes, it's hard, but every time you choose to live in right relationship with God, to live in right relationship with yourself, to live in right relationship with others, you grow up into 
Him who is the head, even Jesus. Ephesians 4.16. So, so, our first big idea here is that, that, that we cannot possibly meet the standard of God's righteousness. Praise God, He did it for us. All we have to do is surrender ourselves to His provision, Jesus Christ. But there's another big idea here as well. As you do that, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, you see it on bumper stickers all over Christendom, right? We, have, we get these ideas. I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven, right? And, and that's true. That's true. But, but, but then we start to use our forgiveness as justification for not living into the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ, right? And, and, and what little uh, aspect that we do uh, change and become more like Jesus, people start to notice. I mean, I just noticed Billy Graham, right? I mean, he lives so differently than most everyone else in our culture that it's very noticeable, and I immediately want to put him on a pedestal, right? I immediately want to elevate him, and people immediately want to elevate you when you start to live as Christ designed you to live, and then you start to think, wow, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. And, and the sneaky little backdoor sin knocks on the back door. It sneaks into your life. There is an inherent danger in practicing righteousness. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? Couldn't you just have made it this once we understand Jesus' love for us? That, that then everything's taken care of and we just live like Jesus the rest of our lives. There's an inherent danger in, in practicing righteousness and justice. And, and in, in our parlance, it's pride. I actually love, I love the archaic word for it, vain glory, right? In other words, empty glory, the danger the danger of becoming like Jesus Christ is that people will elevate you and you'll start to like it. You'll start to like it. And you'll start to live for it. And you'll bring into your, your spiritual life that performance-based uh, judgment that our world is so famous for and you will try and perform for yourself. You'll try and perform for others. You'll even try to earn God's favor by performing for Him. Remember, we can't do this. We can't do this. So it does not make sense. So the problem comes when we get pretty proud of ourselves and we start, we start performing for ourselves. Or the more obvious one, when we seek notice from people rather than God. And, and like, like we saw in the previous weeks, I love Jesus, that He always gives us examples of this. And don't miss what's going on here. Um, certainly, the Ten Commandments give us, uh, give us an idea of, of where we're going. Uh, I, I mean, and Jesus' exposition of the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and then Matthew chapter 5 uh, uh, has shown us where we're going. As we conform to the image of Jesus Christ, this is where we're going. But, but if, if we're being transformed on the inside, it's going to naturally express itself on the outside. And he points to three very common activities. 
And note here, in case I forget later, he does not, he's not denigrating these activities. It looks like it, if you just cursory look over this passage, um, it looks like he's denigrated, but he's not. He says, when you fast, right? When you pray, when you uh, give alms, he's assuming that we do these things. He's not saying these are bad things to do. He's just saying if you do them for the wrong motives, they mean nothing in eternity. Let me put them in order for you. Acts of kindness and mercy, right? I, I love this because when I always grew up hearing the word alms, I just assumed that was giving money, but that's not what that word means. It, it, it does include the concept of blessing someone with financial resources, but it really means any act of kindness or mercy. Not just, and especially not just money giving. And, and, and he says, the problem is when you do those things, you, you want attention, and, and even to the point possibly, many commentators think that when they would do something uh, in, in, um, in the first century in the synagogue, they would bring them up and maybe even literally blow trumpets, da-da-da, look at this godly woman, look at this godly person, see what... What they are doing, and, and, and they would elevate that person, and the person would begin to live for the praise of people instead. And Jesus says, there's another way. There's another way. Don't even, and he uses a strange analogy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That doesn't make sense, does it? Does your hand know what it's doing? <laughs> no, we know it doesn't, but, but his illustration is well taken. He says, you should not even understand what's going on in your own life. It should be such a natural outpouring of your heart that you don't even recognize it as such. By the way, we have a great example of this in Matthew 25, right? So, so uh, Jesus said, uh, blessed are you, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. And they're going, what? What did I do? Right? That's not false modesty. That left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. When, Jesus, did we see you hungry and give you food? When, Jesus, did we see you in prison and go and... You know, they're, they're not playing with us. They, were, they had put this into practice. They, they, they did not even recognize it anymore when it was happening. It was a natural outpouring of their life. He doesn't stop there. He, he talks about prayer as well. And, and, and says, you, you see people who who pray in public as performing for people or even worse, performing just for themselves. Wow, that was a knock-your-lights-out prayer. By the way, sorry, Bill. Bill says, how can I serve you this, um, this Sunday? And I'm thinking, ooh, this is the passage where he denigrates public prayer. You pray, Bill. Could be dangerous. You pray, right? Um, and I know he understands. No, Jesus isn't knocking public prayer, right? He's saying, he's going to the heart. Why are you praying publicly? And, and if, it, if you struggle, if it's a danger, here's a simple solution, right? Remember the movie The War Room? Here's a simple solution. Pray in your closet. Your coat is not going to respond to your eloquent prayers, Right? Your shoes are not going to rise up and clap themselves together, right? Pray where no one hears you. And, and the God who hears you will answer. 
By the way, there's a very special word here. I, I love intricacies and they're dangerous because I love them too much. But, but most houses in Jesus' day only had one lockable room, right? One room that they could lock. And, and that is the word that's used right here. It, I think most of our Bibles translate it closet or room, but it was actually the treasure room. It was the place where you put your valuables and the one place that you had the ability to lock, he's saying, go in there. The idea is just extreme. Nobody should know that you're in there, but I think it's beautiful because the treasures that are in there are not the possessions, right? The treasures are in there that are in there is intimacy with God, and God so desires that kind of communion with you. If you're, if you're concerned, set apart a place and a time when no one knows and no one sees and, and talk to God there. Have you noticed that the first one of these had very much to do with our relationships with other people, right? Your acts of mercy and kindness, right? Have you noticed the second one of these really had to do with our relationship, our communion with God, right? Um, he brings up a third one. And you're saying, what is, it's, it's foreign to our culture for the most part, this fasting. It's, it's, appears all over Scripture. And some people say, well, not in the New Testament. Oh, yeah, it's there. Jesus, Jesus affirms that they're going to fast while I'm with them, you know. But before I came and after I leave, they will fast. They will intentionally deny themselves something so that they can focus on something else. This has nothing to do with other people. This is about you. This is about you. And are you willing to personally um, set apart your desires so that God might be made known in you. And we were remembering Jesus fasting for 40 days in the temptation, right? Um, and he said, he said when the evil one tempted him, man does not live by, it was actually the Greek word for McDonald's alone. No, it was bread alone, but by every word. It proceeds from the mouth of God. There is another kind of food. Again, later, his disciples, catching him speaking to the woman at the well, um, said to him, you know, did you get, we went to get you food, but it looks like you've already eaten. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. There, there is another nourishment that comes to your body when you deny yourself its usual things. And hunger and thirst after a right relationship with God. So he gives us three examples or powerful ones. He says, don't do this for show. Don't do this for other people. When you're fasting, um, do whatever you normally do. That's what that, that's what that is. Wash your face. Oil, oil was like the makeup of their day. You know, look like you're happy. Right? Um, not like the, whoa, is me. I skipped my mid-afternoon snack this afternoon, right? Um, he's saying, no. No, nobody should know that that's going on. And, and, and then as we saw over and over and over again in here, God will notice. When no one else notices, God notices. When everyone else notices, there's no mention of God. And for why there is, he says, you've received your reward in full. And that was it. Hope it was good. And that praise, that applause, that notice that you got from other people is the sum total of 
the reward that you'll get. So Jesus wishes to put an issue not to the practices of, of uh, kindness and mercy, not to prayer, not to fasting, but to doing it for the wrong reason, doing it in the wrong way. I apologize. But God honors these things when they are done in the right way. It's interesting that he uses a particular word here. Beware of practicing your righteousness um, before people in order. And then the word that was translated to be seen is the word theatrics. It's literally the word that translates in English theater. And later he says three times at least, um, hypocrites, right? And that word is very powerful in our culture, but it's a simple word in Jesus' culture. It doesn't have some of the baggage that we... It's a simple word for actor. He's setting up this thing. We're living as if we're on stage and, and the question is, who's the audience, right? So, so some big ideas here, three big ideas. God is not impressed by theatrics, right? He's not impressed by theatrics. Theatrical righteousness is righteousness that is concerned to do good in a way that's noticeable dramatically by other people. Jesus rejects it, but he rejects it in a, a unique way. You have no reward, no, no notice from your Father who is in heaven. So you can either impress people or you can choose to impress God. If you receive your righteousness, if you receive for your righteousness the praise of people, that is the reward that you'll get. The sweet imitation, it's cliche, I know, but it's important. And we sang about it earlier. Jesus, it's all about you. Live for an audience of one. By the way, that will take tremendous pressure off of you. You don't have to please everybody in this room. You don't have to please everybody out there. You don't have to please everybody at your job. Jesus just invites you to bring him pleasure. God invites you to please him. Now, that brings up an issue here, right? The second big idea here is there is a God, and you've got to come to terms with that, right? But also, for us as Christians, we've got to come to terms with the fact that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 11.6, the faith chapter, this, this monster chapter about the, the heroes of our faith. And, and I don't apologize for mentioning Billy Graham for Mother Teresa, because we need good heroes, right? We need good heroes, too. And, 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 but the, in, the, in the pantheon of, of faith in Hebrews 11, he says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. But here's the part we always forget. Uh, and that he rewards those who seek him. There is a God. You by faith can believe in him, but God rewards those, you just made a token economy out of my spiritual life, Pastor David. Are you saying that, that I should like live for the little prize that comes at the end of the worship service? There's no prize, by the way, today. Um, you just tokenized something that was very precious to me. That would be true if the reward I was talking about is, is wealth or or uh, no illness, or some other tangible thing. Here's the reward. We learned it over and over again in Scripture. The reward that God offers you is Himself. Is Himself. And could there be a greater reward than that? The, uh, the reward that God offers you is intimacy with Himself. 
He is our prize. There's a song about that. He is our prize. He is our reward. God, let's not settle for anything less than that. Let's not settle for some temporary satisfaction when the one who created us, the one who made us hunger to be noticed, is waiting, is waiting to bless us with this most gracious of rewards, personal relationship with the living God. I spend a lot of time with with, um, people in nursing homes and the song they always want to sing is, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's just an expression of this. The, the reward is intimacy with God. So let me just hit one more big idea and, and we'll close. If I understand it correctly, there's a secret to living in righteousness. And the secret to true righteousness, the secret to justice, is not just putting the outward symbols on. I'm not knocking those, the red X on our hands, the T-shirts, the bumper stickers. Those are ways of communicating. But let it come from your heart. Don't put it on your hand if it's not in your heart. Don't put it on the back of your car if it's not in your heart. The secret to true righteousness and justice is secrecy. It's secrecy, right? Because there's a God who sees what's done in secret, in those quiet recesses of our heart. And, and, and that's where he responds. Oh, God will use you. Uh, this weekend, our theme for the high scores is be the light. You know, the earlier part of this Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men and women that they may see your good works and glorify. This is not contradictory. It's all about motivation. Do you want the glory that comes from people or do you want the glory that comes from God? If you want the glory that comes from God, risk living conspicuously for him in a culture that will will um, respond to that positively or negatively. But the source of it isn't the public display. The source of it is the secret place in your heart where you exalt Jesus. Everyone who exalts himself, Jesus said, will be humbled. But everyone who humbles himself or herself will be exalted. I'm going to pray in just a moment, um, hopefully not theatrically, um, but I'm going to invite you even in these next few moments as we um, pray, as we um, worship, uh, to ask yourself, what are you going to do in response to God's Word? Risk. Risk three I will statements and put a time on it. I will do this as a response. It might mean that you need to go make something right. It might mean that you need to... to the Holy Spirit prompted you about something else he'd been doing and, and you need to respond to that and, 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 and do something as a result. But don't just leave here with a blank page because this will go away. Any conviction the Holy Spirit might be bringing will go away by lunch, I guarantee you. Unless... You choose to let it change you. What will you do in response? And then secondly, who will you tell? I can't tell you how 
blessed I was in previous weeks where I challenged you to do that. People did it. They told people and people responded. It was astounding. People just assume that nobody cares about what's going on in your life. People care. And when they see transformation in your life, when you talk to them about what God is doing in your life, they respond to it. It gives them courage to risk responding to God too. Who will you tell about what you've experienced today? Pray with me, would you? Come on up, worship team, if you would. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it just cuts us to the quick. And, and God, where it does, our hearts cry out. We're bleeding. We need healing. And what must we do? We cry out with the people in Acts. Um, what would you require of us? We cry out with Micah. Uh, Jesus, how can we respond? Oh, give us hearts of compassion, would you, Jesus? Help us to, um, to respond to people um, like Jesus would respond. To genuinely hear what they're saying. To genuinely listen. And then, and then God, to allow you to allow love to grow in our heart for them. That would express itself maybe in kindness, maybe in mercy. Jesus, most of all, I pray that today we could see your compassion for us. We wouldn't just add this to our list of expectations. We wouldn't just metric this out as some kind of performance we must do to win your favor. No, Jesus, you have already shown us compassion. You've, you've shown us kindness. You, you poured out mercy on us. Do it again. Do it again, Jesus, even now. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen.